2020, the beginning of my birthday week, birth week, the week of my birth, 24 years ago. Fucking old. It's time to retire. Only 24, eh? Yeah. That's like, that's like half of my and, uh, and Nick's age. Nick's about 75, so I, I got him by at least a quarter there. Yeah. Uh, well, if you didn't hear, the Flyers are advancing to the second round of the playoffs. I believe that starts tomorrow night, which I guess will be Monday night for most of you listening. Uh, and they play the Islander. Yeah, tomorrow at 7. Anybody see this schedule is dumb as fuck, by the way? Monday yep. at 7, Wednesday at 3, Thursday at 7, Saturday at noon. What? A back-to-back in a playoff series? I mean, and even more when three there's PM like games? only four series, you still have back-to-back. Like, that's nuts. Shouldn't you just be able to have one East and one West on one day, and then the following day, the next East and West, and then back and forth, and then go? Like, is that does that make too much sense? Is that what's going on here? Yes. Yeah, <sighs> Way too much sense. I mean, well. they started the... Yeah, they started the Avalanche series yesterday, and I'm yeah. like, what if there was a game seven in, in the first round? Like... This doesn't make any sense at all. I think they were uh, happy, actually, that they cut off a bunch of time in the first round because I think they said they moved three days up in the schedule now. So now October 1st is the tentative end date, if need be, for the Stanley Cup final. So that's good. So we're going to get out of hockey within September, sounds like, which is uh, actually crazy considering it's the end of August. It feels like this hockey is going to go on forever in this bubble. It really it just feels like it's going to keep going. It's hard to believe that it's the uh, second round already. Not having hockey. It's been pretty fast paced action. Well, when now. do you guys? When do you guys get snow in uh, Pennsylvania and New Jersey? Uh, usually about March. <laughs> oh, good. So then we can have our parade after all in uh, November. Yeah, yeah, we'll be fine in November. Yeah, it'll probably still be about eighty degrees in November, actually. Yeah. Thanks, global warming. <laughs> <laughs> well, we head to the Islanders, but first, let's wrap up some Montreal here. So I wanted to move the show to, uh, to tonight so we can touch upon this series, break it down a little bit. I did do a post game with Nick uh, after game five, but that was more just a celebratory, thank Christ the series is over kind of thing. So uh, breaking it down into detail, essentially all you need to know here is Carter Hart is great, and... Uh, the rest of the team is uh, hit or miss as far as showing up on a nightly basis, which is uh, really not what you want to see here as they go up against the Islanders, but it was good enough to beat the Canadians. I mean, I guess we're getting kind of lucky that the Canadians really, you know, I guess showed them the path that they're going to have to take when they play the Islanders. I yeah. mean, the, I think the first thing that you can really take out of this series is Carter Hart is a bona fide number one starter. Thank God we finally have one of those in the NHL. I mean, those game three and those game four performances were fantastic. Shutting out the Canadians of back-to-back games for over 120 minutes. He looked phenomenal. He was tracking the puck very well. Um, the only slip-up he's had, I mean, I guess because he, he does tend to do this during the regular season too, as you see in game two and in game five, is sometimes he'll just let in leaky goals or you can just tell some nights where he just doesn't have it. And you saw that in game two and game five where he just didn't have it and was letting in kind of leaky goals left and right, especially, you know, some of those, like, I forget who it was. Was it Armia in game five, like, where he just, like, he kind of went down too early and it just popped right in over his shoulder. 
Um, so he had some weak goals, but on those other times, you just see where he's just absolutely dominant and he can absolutely steal you a series. And I think that's going to be crucial, especially heading into an Islander series. I know we're going to break it down in a minute, but, you know, at least you can say in most of these matchups and most of these games going forward that you have an absolute number one goaltender and you have a goaltender who can steal you games, which is what's going to be important, especially in these tough defensive games. I mean, what we're seeing is that the round robin really didn't matter too much. I mean, the Flyers took it seriously and they got the advantage by going up to the number one seed. Um, But you can tell that, I guess, Boston wasn't taking it too seriously or Tampa wasn't taking it as seriously as maybe they should have. And the Flyers were just going guns all and it kind of got us all hyped up into a frenzy. And then all of a sudden, game one, it just, you know, it was kind of like a kick in the mouth to all Flyers fans. We were just like, oh my God, what the hell is this? tough physical hockey we weren't scoring like you know eight goals a game everything just kind of slowed down it became a defensive physical grind and I think that's what you're going to get out of a team like that and at least the Flyers were able to play that type of game because we have seen them play those tight those tight fast quick scoring games those games that can go seven six six five or whatever but now we can also see that they can play these tough physical one nothing two nothing games it's very tense and that's not the type of hockey I'd want them to play but if they have to play it, then they're going to have to play it. And I'm glad that they show that they're able to win these types of games. I don't even think it's Carter Hart being leaky. I think it's just he's having like a normal performance. You know, <laughs> yeah, the nights when he's not completely, you know, the, the brick wall there. When he has just an even average showing, uh, it's, it's, it's just not enough. And the team defense, I believe it was game four, after the... He pitched the back-to-back shutouts. It was the game where they were just a little less tight defensively, and Carter was a little less solid in net, and, and it caused havoc, essentially. And uh, it's just, you know, they, I believe they ended up losing the game four. So it is what it is. But, yeah, I, I think it paints a very good picture as for – I guess it was game five actually lost. Anyway, I think it was uh, – it paints a, it paints a very realistic picture of what they're going to face uh, upcoming here against the Islanders. Yeah, and I mean to to both of your points. I mean, I, I still can't believe that not everyone is sold on on Carter Hart because apparently I've there was seen a lot story. of those takes lately that are like, "Well, he wasn't great." And I'm like, "What the fuck were you watching?" Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a bunch of them. I understand they're Habs fans and they still have their you know little crush on Carey Price, and I understand that. But I think there was a story in the Inquirer today that people were referencing, and they were like, "How are people still that, uh, questioning this guy?" And Mike and fell really. Mike Selkie, Saliki, sucks at his job. Mike sucks at his jobby. Whatever the fuck is sucks name is. sucks in his leaky. Whatever, something yeah, like that. Something like that. But like, I mean, Carter Hart basically is, uh, for the most part, a mirror image of the team in front of him. Like when the Flyers are really, you know, on top of their defensive game, and when they were really slowing down the speed of the Habs going through the neutral zone and just, you know, swinging sticks, you know, good long sticks, reaching, tipping pucks, just really disrupting their flow. I mean, Carter Hart was able to see every shot. He was in perfect position. He looked really good. And in those games where the defense and the neutral zone play were a little bit lacking, I think that, yeah, as as you said, Dan, it, it really caused havoc in front of Hart. And we still have to remember, he is only 22 years old. This is his first Stanley Cup playoff. Um, and he's already got a series win under his belt. So to me, that's a win and a big win. Uh, the Islanders are going to present their own challenge. But at least they don't have, uh, you know, Brendan Gallagher. By the way, F you, Brandon Gallagher. I still hate you. And I don't care what anybody says about all of a sudden these people who butcher Nate Thompson uh, and want him crucified and tarred and feathered and run through, you know, Walnut Street uh, or Broad Street. Uh, and yet they somehow, you know, wish uh, Gallagher well after getting his uh, chiclets removed. You know what? I don't have any time for those people either. They can they can go kick rocks too. They may not have Gallagher, but they've got Casey Sezikis, Leo Kamarov, Scott Mayfield, uh, Matt Martin, Cal Clutterbuck, so Tom Coonhockle, Ross Johnston. Like th- this series, this is not going to be any less physical series. This entire fucking Islanders team is made from Brendan Gallagher's. So uh, it's going to be uh, the interesting one. I mean, I-, I mentioned this on a past show. Like I think the Islanders are kind of like the final form of what Montreal was trying to be. Um, in terms of, you know, kind of the, the very strong defensively. They've got more than enough uh, power in net. And uh, their offense, they have players that can score. You know, Matt Barzell, Anthony Bavillier wrecked to have it uh, in, in that first series. So 
I, uh, I don't think this one's going to be a walk in the park. Josh Bailey has 10 points in the playoffs, for Christ's sake. So I, I don't think this is going to be a walk in the park. I think there's a lot of people... Um, that are are kind of writing it off. I mean, and the, the the takes I'm seeing in both directions on Twitter have been just absolutely wild. There are people that are this team is bulletproof and and regular season record be damned, and the Islanders just fucking feasting on the corpse of the Capitals be damned. Flyers are gonna come in and kick ass and take names, and other people that are already resigned to failure and that they're throwing it in. <laughs> I'm kind of somewhere in between. I don't necessarily like the way the Flyers played against the Habs, and I don't think the way the Islanders played is necessarily a good look going in for the Flyers, but I don't think it's going to be a complete shit show in terms of the the outcome. I think it's going to be another hard-fought series, but I think also a lot of that revolves around this team getting some of their scoring going, which is still MIA for the most part. Uh, we are looking at a roster full of your top guys that don't have any goals. Sean Couturier, no goals. Claude Giroux, no goals. Konechny, no goals. Uh, I believe, uh, 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 what the fuck's his name? Provorov just had his first one in the last game. So, uh, Kevin Hayes had his first one in the last game as well. So, the, you were starting to get some action there, I believe, in the last two games of the uh, Canadian series. You started to see some of the top guys buzzing. But until you get the results, this is no longer the time for moral victories. And uh, this next series is really going to depend on this team's offense. And in order to do that, you have to get your top six going. Yeah, I think since we're moving on to the Islanders topic, there's pros and cons of what I think the Flyers can do well against the Islanders and what I think the Islanders do better than the Flyers. I'll start a little bit. What I think the Islanders do better than the Flyers is, so if you want to take that Canadian series and, oh, the Canadians give you no space and, you know, they can jump on you on your opportunities and play a defensive game. Yeah, the Islanders do that like 20 times better than the Canadians. And the worst part is, is they have, like you mentioned, they have all those scores who will not miss. I mean, we... You know, just went off on Suzuki and Armia and Cockney Miami all putting in goals and all, you know, showing up and doing really well. But now they have that and they have those players who are more experienced and older and know what the hell they're doing. And they're not going to miss those wide open chances. So this forward group and they have honestly, they have a head coach who is just on the level, if not better than Olivier, I believe he, I mean, he has a Stanley Cup and he won it a few years ago with the Capitals. My wife won't let me live that down. Um, But Barry Trotz is a very, very good, experienced NHL coach. He plays a very, he has a very defensive style system and his forwards and all of his players have brought in. I mean, before Barry Trotz got to the Islanders, they were nothing. And now he's brought them into contention and brought them into the playoffs these past few years. And he's brought them into the second round these past two years. He knows what the hell he's doing. And his forwards do play really tight defensive hockey. And when you make a mistake, they will jump all over you. I just watched it when I was watching the games with my wife. You know, every chance the Capitals turned it over, it was always in the back of the net. And they were always taking advantage of leaky goaltending and leaky defense. Now, where I think the Flyers are a little bit better is, is luckily compared to the Canadians, the fly, the Islanders don't have like a superstar on defense like a Shea Weber, and they definitely don't have a superstar goaltender. I definitely think Carter Hart is way better than Varlamov. I mean, Varlamov is was pretty good in Colorado, and then he's been pretty good on the island. But I definitely think he's been letting in some leaky goals, and he, you can score on him. Um, like when the Capitals had, were you know, pretty much putting up like two, three goals a night. They were doing pretty good against him. And I think the Flyers, if they can find their scoring touch, shouldn't have a problem beating Varlamov. He isn't like a, you know, he isn't a fantastic puck controller like Harry Price was. They should be able to get pucks on net and they should be able to fool him a few times. So I think there's kind of like a give and take. Their defense, their forwards, and their overall defensive style is so much better than what the Canadians had to offer, but I think that they don't have a superstar on defense that's going to shut you down like a pro off, and they definitely don't have that superstar in net. While the Flyers, if you can get Hart rolling like he did, like he did in games three and game four, where he can shut them out and he's just not letting anything through, then I think that's where you have the chance to really steal a few games and maybe win the series. How the hell old is Simon Varlamov? I feel like he's been around forever at this point. He's got to be at least 32, I would think. Yeah, 32, Semyon Varlamov. Because I think he played for the Caps, too, did he yeah, not? Yeah, he was a Cap for a while. Semyon <clears throat> Alexandrovic Varlamov. I don't think he was too Cap-friendly, though. 
let in a lot of bad goals. Yeah. Wah wah. Anyways, um, a lot of people are basically writing. I, to Dan's point, you're either writing off the flyers or you're like sipping the Kool-Aid at Jonestown, like ready to, you know, follow this team wherever. Um, I'm a little bit more optimistic heading into this series. I, I think people do put way too much stock into regular season records, um, especially with COVID and the big break and everything else. I've seen way too many instances of teams uh, like the Ottawa Senators teams of the you know late 90s and early 2000s. They had excellent squads. They literally playing seven or eight games against the Toronto Maple Leafs in the regular season. They might have lost once. Uh, and then they get shellacked in the postseason because the grit and the you know hard nosed play of guys like Shane Corson and Darcy Tucker and and guys like that end up winning the day. Uh, it wasn't necessarily about the star power; it was about taking advantage of opportunities and making teams pay. That being said, I totally agree with what both of you were saying, but I, I think that uh, everyone's kind of painting this picture that um, the Islanders are going to play exactly like the Montreal Canadiens, and I'm not. Not so convinced that that's the case. I think Montreal was forced to play that way, uh, use their speed because that was their massive advantage in, in that opening round series, and try to catch the Flyers, you know, napping on some on some nights and definitely on some shifts. But they really had to respond to the way that the Flyers were trying to clog up the neutral zone, and they were sort of playing the same way. Um, I know that they were better at creating opportunities because of their speed, but overall, the, the lack of, of star power and the depth of the Flyers is what won the day, as well as the goaltending. In this series against the Islanders, the Flyers can't mess around here. Uh, they looked like a can of crushed assholes in round one. They need <laughs> a, what? They, a, a can of crushed assholes. Okay. And they basically need to make sure that that power play needs to get going. And they absolutely need their top two lines being scoring threats. They cannot be passengers on this round two bus. Because if they are, then they will be eliminated. That yeah, I can guarantee you. Uh, there's going to be no place to hide when you know, people go and they say, oh, Giroux was on the ice, you know, seven of the eight Flyers goals or whatever it was. Couturier too. That's nice. And it's funny that the analytics people love to throw the plus minus stuff in there and the assists. Don't you love when they do that? Right. It's not a real stat when it backs up a bad player, but when it backs up a good player, it's like, this is a legitimate stat. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, why don't we just cherry pick a a stat too? Nate Thompson has uh, one goal this postseason. That's more than Claude Giroux. How about we cherry pick that? Missed two open nets. He would have had three goals. That's more than fucking everybody besides Jake Voracek. I mean, yeah, like Travis Konechny needs to get going. I thought that he, he tipped that uh, Provorov shot in, and they switched it back and forth like three times. Yeah. So he is still scoreless. He absolutely needs to get going. I don't know what's going on with him if he's still hurting, but I have a feeling we're going to see NAK back sooner rather than later in this series. And it would be really interesting to see what AV does uh, with his forward unit. I really think that they've got to just stack uh, that top line and, and, you know, maybe put Lawton in as a 3C uh, just because Grant, I don't think, has been overly impressive. Although I love that he tapped uh, Suzuki on the head there, giving him the, uh, the old nice try, kid. Maybe next time you'll get it. Um, but definitely, yeah, it's the offense, offense, offense uh, is going to reign supreme for the Flyers here. Otherwise, uh, they will be making an exit from the bubble. Abe Kubel was skating, I believe, for the past couple of days. But there's still no official word on his return just yet. But yeah, he has uh, his energy, his offensive attempts, I guess would be the best word, uh, are are definitely missed in that bottom six. Um, I, I've 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 yelled at length about this bottom six over the last few episodes, so I'm not gonna go completely bad shit today. But uh, yeah, you got to uh, Derek Grant especially. I think needs to be the one that uh, needs to find a new slant somewhere the hell away from this fucking team because I, I, I'm not a big fan of his. I don't really hate Thompson. actually don't hate him at all <laughs> considering uh, how much shit this poor guy is getting. But, um, yeah, I think Aubrey Cabell is the, the big addition there. Hopefully when he comes back, JVR sits because he's goddamn useless at the sport of hockey. And, uh, yeah, they just need to uh, 
hopefully the 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 Islanders don't quite. I think the one thing Montreal did very very well that other teams in the round robin did not were they were able to stifle all four lines of the Flyers. They did not give them a fucking inch. Whereas in the round robin tournament, you saw they would shut down the first line, right? But then it'd be Abe Cabell and Ferry on the third line coming in and doing the scoring. Or Scott Lawton would lead the way on the second line. I I think if they can do that, if they can find a way to get at least one line rolling, then they stand a chance. And, And again, that goes back to the complete depravity of everything we saw in the Montreal series where their offense just was at a complete standstill most of the time. And uh, I just don't think you want to get into a defensive battle here. Um, I think they can. They proved it in whatever the hell two games were shut up. Was it two and three and three and four? Whatever the fuck it was. Three and four. Three and four. There we go. So I think if they get into those defensive battles, they can, but this team is also not quite as perfect uh, to be built that way you know this win by committee thing is something they've relied on and kind of lived or died on all season so if they can bring that back and make that work in the playoffs then then I think they stand a chance but uh that is the that's the big if right now is whether they can you know kind of unite as a team and get that depth rolling again they also got to score first because every single game in that Montreal series, the team that scored first was the one that ended up winning. So it's kind of important, especially because then you can play that defensive style because you saw the Flyers get out to that 2 nothing lead on the, in game six. And then, you know, Montreal would add one and then Flyers would add one and they would back and forth. But when you get that first goal, it allows you to just play that super suffocating defense that the Flyers can play and that would work in the favor of the Flyers over the Islanders is if you can get a one or two, three goal lead or something like that, then you can just completely focus on shutting them down and keeping all the pucks shots to the outside where Carter Hart can easily take them out and nullify them. The bigger thing to me, actually, I think I forget which one of you mentioned it earlier was the penalty kill and the power play that has to get going. Oh, because fucking Montreal. I know we've taught, I know you've ranted about it for like the past two weeks. And it, it's, <laughs> it's such an issue because Montreal coming in had like the worst power or the worst penalty kill of all the teams left in the playoffs. So we were supposed to, you know, if we got a power play opportunity, we were supposed to light them up. And we went so, we were so bad on the power play. And against the Islanders, a team that thrives on the penalty kill, it's going to feast on our power play if we can't find some ways to get things going. And I was hoping that after that game five where Voracek scored those two power play goals and then Farabee potted another on the power play that, okay, now they're starting to find the rhythm. It's just a matter of getting that timing down. But then in game six, they went over on the power play again. It's just like, oh my God, we need to start getting that going because the Islanders are tough at five on five defensively and they're really good on the penalty kill. So it's not going to do the Flyers any flavors going in if you can't score against Montreal. Lord knows what we're going to do against the Islanders. And one of the Flyers' biggest strengths during the season was the penalty kill. I love the penalty kill, and they were doing really good work. But they seemed to give up a few too many power play goals for my liking during that Montreal series, too, when I wasn't too thrilled with them. Uh, I know they scored, I think Montreal scored once or twice on the power play in game six. And it's just like normally during the regular season, that power, that penalty kill was shut down and was like near the top half of the league, if not in the top 10 in the league, um, if not just right outside of it. But now I'm noticing that they're starting to get a little bit leaky. And sometimes if they get flustered in the moment or it seems like the momentum's going one way, like Montreal seemed to be driving play, then they can get a little bit flustered and they'll start letting in goals. We can't let that sort of stuff happen because, you know, Travis Sand or not Travis Sand was it Sandheim or no it was Phil Myers who had that you know double cross who had that um cross check right up in the face and gave us a double minor and it's just like really now we have to kill off four minutes of uh you know power play time for them and it's just like these stupid penalties that the Flyers luckily they had they didn't take as many as Montreal but it still can be concerning and against a frustrating team like the Islanders who are going to get physical, who have all those bodies that know how to play physical and are going to piss you off. You got to learn to stay out of the box as if you do, then, you know, that could be an area of concern as well. They were, uh, four for 39 on the power play so far in the postseason. specifically four for 28 against the series, uh, against the, uh, 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 Montreal Canadians. This is a fucking team. They just played four for 39. A team that was firing at 20% during the regular season is now 4 for 39. 
Sweet Christ. And three of them came in that, you know, three of them in one game. Um, the thing with that power play, and this is the thing that has continually driven me insane, is everybody calling for Provorov to be taken off the unit. I, I don't think that these guys are watching the same thing that I'm watching because it's literally the interplay is between Provorov and Giroux, especially Giroux seems like he's allergic to shoot the puck on net. He's just wants to, you know, whip the puck cross ice to set up Voracek, or he just wants, you know, Provorov to bomb it from the point, which is all fun and good. The problem with that is if you watch the second unit, all these people that want Travis Sanheim out there, the second unit was abysmal. Uh, I don't think they got any shots on goal in at least one of those games, more than one of those games. And Sanheim just didn't look comfortable out there with, you know, Hayes and, and some of the other players that were out there. I think the thing that they reverted to um, was to get set up a little bit quicker when they gained the zone. And usually Jake's the best at bringing the puck in to the zone. I think Coots really struggles, um, as does Provorov. I'll, I'll totally admit that. Um, but I think that the main thing that they were trying to do, I think I saw Ghost out there with Provorov um, on one or two of those power plays in the uh, in the clinching game. And it, at least it looked better. It looked like there was a little bit more rhythm. Uh, the defenseman wasn't worrying about having to cover the entire width of the ice surface to try to block a clearing attempt. At least you can, you know, chop it in half. Provorov can take one half and Ghost can take the other half. We know Ghost is good at blocking those, uh, you know, those zone clearances. And at least it gives a different look, a different feel to that power play. I know, Dan, that you've been talking about the power play a lot with Anthony and, uh, you know, with, on all the other platforms with Jim on Angry, Negative, etc. It just looked really stale and yes. predictable. And it really was. I mean, you, you had that one opportunity where um, I think it was JVR in front and he just got robbed by, uh, by Carey Price. But you sat there and you went, okay. I want more of this. Get the puck into the dirty area, into the high danger area, right in the slot. Get somebody to get their mitts on that puck and fire it on goal. This perimeter stuff and just hoping that a puck will just go in there. I mean, listen, sometimes it works against a guy like Carey Price because you get a deflection or it hits somebody or or Montreal guy scores in their own net like what happened twice in that deciding game. But, I mean, generally, you've got to work the puck around with pace, with speed, get those penalty killers tired, get them moving, get them out of position so that one little slip, one little fall, and you've got a nice, clear opportunity on goal to try to get a goal. It was way too predictable. Hopefully, uh, they've, they've started to sort things out. It looks a little bit better now. Uh, they're really going to need it to click higher than uh, a 10 or 11% pace, which is what it's doing right now. The uh, the movement looked a lot better. I believe it was the first two games that were just the the the, the diamond essentially. They set it up. Jura to Provo, Provo to Voracek, Voracek back to Provo takes a blast. And I've seen a lot of you got to get Provo out of there. And I don't necessarily think it's his fault as much as it is the system's fault that it just so happens that a lot of it's coming down on him because he's the point guy. But uh, you know, Sanheim had eight goals this year, zero of which were on the power play. Myers had four goals this year, zero of which were on the power play. You know, I, I get it. There are other options on this team. Hell, even fucking if you're gonna put Shane Gustafsson in the lineup, you may as well put him on the power play. Um, but uh, if anybody's ever watched Phil Myers with the Phantoms, and I've brought this up before, like he was so fucking good down there especially on the power play or, or when he was running the offense. And when he can go from the left point to the right point and back and forth and go down along the sideboards and just run that fucking shit by himself, you know, it's not something he can translate to the NHL because you just can't do that. You're going to get your shit wrecked. But you need that creativity. You need the movement. You need the power. And I just don't... I don't know if Provorov can bring that, but... Sanham and Myers have not been able to transfer that to the NHL either. So you are kind of in a rock and a hard place there. Uh, I guess I don't think this is Provorov's fault um, as much as it is just the system around him is failing and he's kind of getting the blame for it because he's the one taking those point shots from nothing. But it's the same reason everybody fucking hated Shane Goss' bear for all these years. You just put him at that point shot 
in on top of that umbrella, that diamond, and he just takes the, the fucking shot into the defenseman who's, you know, three feet in front of him. You know, we've been complaining about that for four years now, and the fact that they're still rolling out the same goddamn boring power play, it's uh, it's pretty bad. So it's not Provorov's fault, but uh, nobody else really looks like they're willing to step up and take that next step either. No, and let's play devil's advocate here. Provorov is sitting there going, okay, I just passed the puck to Drew. So Drew's right beside him. He's on the left wall, right? Drew barely moves from there. Like if he skates past one of the advertisements, I'm I'm stunned. And by the way, Jake does the same thing. The, pretty much everybody on the Flyers does that. They basically set up shop in their little designated area, and that's how they're going to run their power play. They're going to keep the puck on the perimeter and try to draw the penalty killers out to try to get him out of position. The problem with that, though, is Provorov gets the puck. He's looking around. He's looking around. He sees Giroux. He passes it to Giroux. Giroux now has options. Giroux can either get it to Provorov, which, again, what's the point? Um, unless you're going to take a shot. He can fire it behind the net, you know, to somebody that's waiting behind the net or, or the net front presence, the guy that's going to be in the front of the net that can go track back behind the goal to get the puck. He can fire a puck cross ice to Jake Vorchak, which... It, let's face it, with Montreal speed, that's not a good idea because if it gets deflected, you've got an odd man rush or breakaway shorthanded the other way. And they've been burned with stuff like that before. So what do you do? He keeps giving it back to Provorov. Well, at some point, somebody's got to shoot the damn puck. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, And, and Provorov, I'm, I don't know him. I, I don't get into his head. But if I was him, I'd be thinking, you know what? Christ, I'm just going to fire the puck here. He's not firing it. They're not getting it to Jake to fire it. They're not getting it to the guy in front to fire it. So you know what? To hell with it. I'm just going to fire it and hopefully get a rebound or, or a tap in or a deflection. That, I mean, that's the mentality. G's got to take more and they're of a not getting the, and the, 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 the tap ins and the deflections. That's the thing. Like, they're beating this fucking dead horse in JVR trying to put him on their power play. I think Faraby has looked great in that role. Uh, I believe both of his goals in that series came from the net front presence kind of thing where he's standing there and can tip it in. Um, I don't think well when it was on the power play, but point being, he's handling that net front well, uh, a head, net front role a whole lot better than than JVR can, who just kind of stands there like a fucking dude. And I often said JVR is not a net front presence; he's just a dude who stands in front of the net. You know, he, he's not a force anymore. The guy's washed. He's a piece of shit. I hate him. I hate him. I hate JVR. I don't know if I've ever made that clear in one of these shows in the past or not. But, uh, yeah, it's time to move on. Try Faraby out there. Try Konechny out there. Put literally anybody else in front of the net besides fucking JVR, and you're going to start seeing those tap-ins and those deflections work a little bit better because JVR is fucking useless. I mean, you saw it in that goal in Game 5 where Voracek passed it to Faraby. It was a beautiful, beautiful pass, and Faraby, like you said, lives in the front of the net, and he plays that role really, really well. So, I mean... He seems comfortable enough on that power play unit with Jake Borchek, so why not put him there? Why not just keep it? Stop trying to switch things in and out. And didn't I see? I forget which game it was. Wasn't Derek Grant on the second power play unit? I believe at so, one point. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is he doing on the second play <laughs> power unit? He's useless five on five, and he's barely good at the penalty kill. What the fuck is Derek Grant doing on the? Power I think play it's unit? amazing. He shouldn't, he shouldn't even be close to the goddamn power play. It's amazing how much talent this team theoretically has it forward and they can't even roll out one power play, let alone two solid lines. It's, it's incredible that this is not working. It's just, fuck. Come on. As as much as Flyers Twitter likes to bitch and throw random power play units out there, like it can't hurt to try some of this shit with the power play. Cause, cause it's so bland and boring and they're putting, you know, Derek Grant and, and Tyler Pitt, like, like get these fucking people off the power play for Christ's sake. You got a team full of people here. How is this not working? No, unless they're trying to, you know, just show like, Hey, these are guys that are trying at least in Pitlick's case, especially, I thought he had a really good third period in that clinching game. But um, like, again, the second power play unit, when they get out there, it's almost like, they're like, oh, well, we got like 40 seconds to just fart around and 
hopefully something will happen. Like they don't even have a, like a plan. It's like Hayes basically gets the puck, tries to bring it in. And then like, they barely ever get set up. Like it's really infuriating. It's like, it's almost like all the energy is going towards that first unit and trying to figure out what to do when uh, truth be told, I I just think it's better with two defensemen out there and you need a guy that's going to skate behind the net and be in the front of the net. And I think that JVR with his size should be able to do that job because he did it in Toronto. I mean, he had Tyler Bozak as the center for crying out loud, and he lived on that power play. He should be able to do that. I don't know why he can't or why he's not able to do that right now with this team. You need JVR to get going here in this Islander series because you're going to need all hands on deck on those top two lines to get something going, period. Like, he needs to get going. Something needs to happen. I think a... uh power play guy whether it be net front or some kind of chaos creator you know in the middle there something i think that's going to be pretty high on their wish list this summer uh is is looking for a new body out there because it's clear it's not working and the playoffs are not the time where you want your power play to dry up especially when you're four for 39 well let me give you Go ahead, Sorry, Steve. Like most of the like, you just look at it in the NHL playoffs, and most Stanley Cup winners, what do they have? Really good. They have great special teams. They have a good penalty kill, and they have a pen. They have a power play that scores goals. I mean, look at the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Colorado Avalanche. They just thrive on the power play, and we have nothing nowhere near close to that. So, if you're going to win these type of games where you're given an opportunity, like a you know a four minute double minor or a major or something like that. You got to convert on those opportunities and you got to cash in. And they only did that once in the series and pretty much it went away. So you got to start taking care of these things. Let's see here. Is this this year's power? Uh, yeah, here we go. Power play percent among playoff teams. Flyers are third last. The only teams worse than the Flyers were Columbus and the Rangers. Both so, both eliminated. Both eliminated. The Flyers <laughs> and uh let's see here. Tampa Bay was nineteenth ranked. Wow. Thirteen point three. But yeah, let's uh the Colorado Colorado Avalanche fly, firing at a twenty nine point seven percent. Oilers were at twenty nine point four. Flames twenty eight point six. Predators twenty eight point six. Florida twenty the fucking Florida Panthers were scoring on the power play. So looks like a lot of these teams are up in the uh, upper teens here. Golden Knights, Stars, Blues, 18, 18, 19, 17, 18. So, got to, uh, now, I, Vegas. You get to see uh, it watching the games, too. Yeah. Like, you just watch these games, and they're just, like, they're taking advantage of all these opportunities, and they're putting in the puck, you know, in the back of the net. Every chance that they get, they're such good, high offensive power games. And I get that's not what the Montreal Flyers series was, because it was more of a defensive battle. But on the power play, you should be on the man advantage. You should be putting pucks on net, and it always was pretty much just, like, well, can we decline this power play? Because I'd rather play five on five, or at least we know we have a better shot. It was, I mean, you're still killing two minutes. Great, but it's still kind of a waste. They weren't doing anything with it. And when the second power play unit got on there, it was pretty much you had 40 seconds to a minute. And it was pretty much 40 seconds to a minute of them just going back to Carter Hart to get the puck because they would walk into the zone and then Montreal would just send it right back out. It was useless. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. I mean, the thing that I think AV's challenge is going to be, and I don't think it's going to be that big of a challenge, to be honest with you, is to convince the players that this is a brand new series now. You wipe the slate clean. You're starting fresh. You got past Montreal. Did you play your best? No. The challenge, though, now is you have to play better because the Islanders are not going to roll over. And I had people on Twitter saying, like, well, would you expect the Montreal Canadiens to roll over? Well, no. But really, they weren't really supposed to be there. And they were, they really had nothing to lose. They were just Absolutely. sort of. They, they were, were pissed. They, that was all gravy for them. After they beat the Penguins, they just go out there and they just gave the Flyers hell. You know, they weren't going to win the cup this year, but they were sure going to cause some chaos on their way out. And now this is the Islanders team who is driven, who does have, uh, you know, a coach that didn't die in the first game. You know, they're going to go out there and they're going to, they're, they're legit this year. And uh, like I said, they barely got past the Canadians playing essentially the same style of hockey. So I I think it's going to be, it's going to be just as difficult. I am not looking forward to this series whatsoever. I still picked the Flyers to win, and I picked it in six in six games, I believe, in our little pool. But um, I do here. think that they got to just reset. And, you know, you look at this roster. Like, Montreal, I know the fans are, are upset and everything. 
but ultimately, this was a really good experience for them. Guys like Kotkaniemi and Suzuki, uh, you know, they gained a wealth of experience in that first round and just showing like, here, here's what it takes. Even though you dominated the Flyers for periods at a time, you still couldn't get it done past six games. You still lost. This is a huge learning curve. And they've got young players that are still coming up, like Ryan Paling. They've got uh, Alexander Romanov. They're going to be, you know, shuffling into that lineup. And you, the Flyers are not that dissimilar. I mean, you look at their playoff experience. I'm not kidding you. Nate Thompson's probably the third most experienced or fourth most experienced guy from a postseason perspective. Like he's got more than Claude Giroux in terms of games played in the playoffs. I think it's Niskanen and um, oh god, who was the other one? Oh, I just had the fucking roster up and look at it. Uh, yeah, it's like Niskanen, Giroux, and like he's ahead of Hayes. He's ahead of a bunch of guys, and you're sitting there going like, these are a lot of young guys. The Farabees, Sanheim, uh, you know, Myers. These are guys that have not really made it out of the first round for sure. Uh, but this is <laughs> their again, only playoff experience is getting killed by the Penguins in 2018. Right. Carter Hart. Like this is all valuable experience and they're going to have to just reset, start all over. The only thing that I would be worried about is if this team struggles offensively to score goals in round two again, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people calling for changes up front and somebody get that Buffalo guy on Twitter to try to make that trade for Jack Eichel. That would be a really great idea. Just not Carter Hart. Okay. Let's see here. I mean, that's going to be your great equalizer in the series is Carter Hart. I mean, if Carter Hart can just play on top of his game and, you know, not play, you know, like he did in game two, even if he plays in like he did in game five, where he let up those four goals, it's you'll you'll take that because he still was pretty good on that game. You just don't want game two Carter Hart where he's just letting in everything under the sun. The great equalizer in this series and where I think the Flyers have the biggest advantage, like Varlamov is – you know, he's older, he has experience, he's a good goaltender, but I think Carter Hart has a way bigger upside and he has a way better chance of stealing a game or two or even stealing a series um, in these playoffs. I think Carter Hart is your biggest neutralizer, your biggest equalizer, your biggest chance to take it and win these games against the Islanders. He just has to play really well and the team just has to play really, really sound defense in front because you know the Islanders are going to bring it and you know the Islanders are going to play a tight defensive system. But if Carter Hart can be on his game and be like he was in game three and in game four and we've shown that he can do it, he just has to win four games. It doesn't matter how many games it goes to. If he can just win four games and be stellar or above average in those four games... I think the Flyers will have the advantage, but you just have to hope that the Flyers can play well in front of them, play good defensive hockey, and I think Carter Hart can take care of the rest. Looks- he was the MVP of our of our opening round. Absolutely. I don't have any doubt about that. Uh... If the Flyers go far, he's going to be the con Smythe, but you know that's you know way way far. Knock on wood and all that other jazz. You know, he's been so good. Nate. Yeah, it looks like it may be Giroux, Nissen, and then Thompson. Braun Justin Braun. It was Justin, Justin Braun's Braun. been to a Stanley Cup final, too. Let's see here. Justin Braun has... Whoa. Yeah, he uh, pretty high up there. 30, 36, 67, 78. Yeah, he may actually be most experienced as Justin Brown. Because he was on all those Sharks teams that kept going to the Eastern Conference Finals and the Stanley Cup Finals. So it's Braun, Niskanen, Giroux, and Thompson as far as experience goes. And- See, and if I'm AV, I'm, I'm do- this is what I'm doing for this round. I'm saying, listen, Giroux, Couturier, uh, Van Riemsdyk. What do they have in common? They all got little ones at home, like less than a year old, right? Do you want to go see your family? You'd rather see them. It's like, yeah, I need Jim with the Italian accent going, you want to see your family? Eh? You got to go see your family? You want to see your you family wanna... again, eh? You want to turn them into some pizza sauce? You got two options here. You can either go home out of the bubble and see your family because the Islanders just beat the shit out of you, or... You beat the Islanders, and your family joins you in Vancouver. Uh, sorry, in Edmonton for the conference final. Wouldn't that be even better? That's what you want. It's the best of both worlds. 
Get out there, JVR. You can go with Baby Van Screamsdyke again. JVR can go the fuck home for all I care. He's not contributing or anyway. The anchor. He's the anchor. Meaning he weighs He's down the, the fucking team. anchor, all right. <laughs> Future Kraken. Yeah, how ironic. Oh, shit. What else do we have to uh, talk about? Oh, Steve, I'll hand the floor to you on this one. Washington Capitals. Ditch their uh, coach. My wife was so happy today. <laughs> she said it was one of the first texts she sent me when I woke up this morning. She's like, thank God they fired Reardon. Oh, my God. Her and my in-laws were all texting me, and they were all so happy because I'm in their group chat. So, Todd yeah, Todd Reardon, Reardon got fired Two because... years he was there. Finished <laughs> was first in the Metro both years. times. Yeah, so he got fired because basically, for anyone who doesn't know, Barry Trotz, after the Capitals won the Cup in 2018, uh, it came down to basically a contract issue where uh, Trotz had his contract was about to expire. And they had an automatic re-up, like the Capitals could accept or decline. Basically, it was an automatic re-up where it was like they paid Trotz like $6 million a year, and they had to keep him for five years. And the Capitals didn't want to do that. They were, according to my wife and all the Capitals people, they were okay paying the money, but they were iffy on the term because they were like, oh, we don't know if we want him for five years, blah, blah, blah. Stupid decision. So anyway, Trotz goes to the Islanders. He starts having this success. Todd Reardon takes over. Todd Reardon's been on the bench. He's been with Pittsburgh for a little bit. He's been kind of all over the place, but he was kind of seen as their up-and-comer. He was, you know, pretty good, and basically he got his ass kicked in both first-round matchups. So last year against the Carolina Hurricanes, I don't know if they got swept, but they got pretty close to getting swept. It wasn't a very competitive series, and... I don't know. I think that did go seven. It went seven, seven. Yeah, Yeah, I think it went seven. Okay, I was remembering the other time. And then this game against the Islanders, they just didn't look competitive at all. And all those times, Reardon, yeah, he brought the Capitals up, and they were in first place, and they were looking like a dominant team. But they really didn't look like themselves, and they didn't look like the defensive team that, you know, they were – they didn't even look like the offensive dynamo team that they really were. They they would put up some points and things like that, but – they were still a little iffy. So my wife and my in-laws are, you know, jumping for joy because Todd Reardon is finally gone and now they get to start their coaching hunt and she is praying for God that they get Gallant. I was going to say, please don't bring Gerard Gallant to the fucking Metro. I don't yeah. want to see this guy. I also saw the name yeah. Mike Yao thrown around quite a bit today. Yeah, I saw that too. And there were quite, a, there were two or three people uh, in the higher-ups in the hockey world that mentioned his name and found that... Uh, Rather interesting. Why can't they take fucking Michelle Terry and get rid of him instead? I think, how about Lavi? Yeah, I wouldn't want to see Lavi there, too. Because yeah. Lavi is really good at getting a lot of offensive firepower in that team. Lavi and Ovechkin. They don't have any defense. And, <laughs> oh, man. You know, they've got that up-and-comer goaltender in Samsonov, but they don't have any defense. But they definitely have the offense. And you give Laviolette a player like Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, and he's going to do wonders with that team. Yeah, how the fuck old is Alex Rich? He's only thirty-four. I think he's about to be thirty-five next month. But I feel like he's been around he's for twenty years. At this point. Yeah, you know what? I was li- listening to the show with the Tampa Bay Lightning insider yes. on Brotherly Pod, and he raised a good point. He said, "You know, is it really fair to judge the Capitals right now? I mean, Samsonov was." hurt i don't even know if he made it into the bubble did he and he got in uh i think what my wife was saying was he was in like an atv accident because he was like enjoying himself during covid and i think he got in like an atv accident <laughs> okay so he was drunk day. and he fell off an atv excellent um you know carlson was not 100 percent, so that's a huge loss right there even though he played uh backstrom was hurt for the majority of that series like they were walking wounded and the islanders just feasted on them um, because Trotz is the man with the plan, right? He, he will pick them apart if they show weakness like that. Uh, to me, the big boo-boo is, yeah, they didn't sign Barry Trotz when they had the chance after they won that cup. And is that the owner? Is that Ted Leonsis? Because he was, you know, tightening up the purse strings? Or is that the GM who decided, you know what? I want to put a guy, my guy, in there, even though the coach won them the Stanley Cup. Uh, you know, certainly, of course, Ovechkin and others, you know, did that too. But Trotz played a huge role in that team. And it was a dumb decision to let that guy walk the way that he did. I never was a fan of, of letting coaches go like that. Um, when they prove 
their worth and and they show success, you got to invest in them. Like you've got to you've got to reward their hard work and effort. And I think that was just a dumb move. If that was the GM, I I would think that he would be on thin ice uh, going into next season. Speaking of relying on victories and winning on cups, I believe uh, Mike Babcock is still out there somewhere. He's <laughs> nowhere. He's getting paid large to just consult at the University of Wisconsin. What a guy. Yeah, according to going back on what you just said, Manny, according to my wife, is that they were okay paying him the $6 million that he was, because it was like a sizable pay increase after the Stanley Cup win. But they weren't, they didn't want to commit to him for like five or six years. And everyone in capital, in the Capitals world, including my wife, was like, we don't care. Pay the man, have him as his coach. We don't care about the term, but the ownership and the GM didn't want to commit to him for like I think it was like five or six years that they would have had to do it. And clearly, it's biting them in the ass because Trotz went on to the Islanders and made them better immediately. And now the Capitals are still looking for a new coach two years out the line. So I mean, you could have still had Trotz, and even though he might have brought you as far as you did, because they before that, before they went in their Cup run just about every year they were getting knocked out in the second round due to Pittsburgh. So they could have kept doing at least these second round exits or they keep, you know, could have maybe found their magic and go on their cup run or something like that with trots. But instead they didn't want to commit to him because it would have been like, well, what if we have to fire him in two or three years and then we have to pay him and then we have to do all this other sort of stupid stuff, something that like a cheap ownership group would do. And now you're kind of looking like you're in hot water again because, you know, you stupidly didn't want to pay the guy and you didn't want to have him around long-term. And that's clearly a stupid decision. But the thing about term, and I get it, it's a coach. Coaches are hired to be fired, right? Yeah, but yeah. the thing is, is Barry Trotz was a very long-tenured coach in Nashville. So this yeah. is not a guy whose act just, you know, goes stale after, you know, three years and then it's out the door. A five-year deal would have been just fine from where I'm sitting because he's a guy that literally he implements his systems. He gets his players. He gets guys that like to play his way and he gets results, especially after winning a cup. They're not going to fire him for at least two years after that. And he's not going to be a guy that's going to get fired anyways. He's going to stay there for at least four to five years. Um, um, it really wasn't going to hurt them, I don't think. Hell, he's already in uh, New York for two years. He's not going anywhere next year, so that's already three. So, right, yeah, and they're a young team, and they're just going to be growing and you know getting better. So, they also saw Reardon as like kind of more of like an offensive coach, and he would probably get more out of the offensive group, like the Backstroms, the Kuznetsovs, the Ovechkins, and he. Well, you know, they, the offense did pretty good this year. They just like they're also getting depleted because they have you know, from drafting so late all those years because they've been consistently in the second round and they've been consistently doing well in the playoffs. They've just had no one coming up and doing well for them. They have no offensive. Their best player was Ilya Samsonov with the Hershey Bears. Um, Other than that, they really didn't have a ton of, you know, good prospects coming up, not like the Flyers or the Canadians. Now you can see where they have, like, a pretty good prospect pool coming up. Well, we'll wrap this up here. We're going to talk... Our picks for the second round here, uh, Flyers v. Islanders, was actually split down the middle, I believe. Uh, Looks like three Islanders, three Flyers. You two picked the Flyers. And uh, Jim as well picked the Flyers. Nick, myself, and Anthony all picked the Islanders. I went well, with my heart over my head on this. You know what? My gut is in the first the round, in the first round, I went with my heart and got fucking destroyed, especially in the East. So I'm going with my head on this one. It's the fucking Islanders are going to win. Yeah, like my my gut call when I woke up and I was like, ah, I'm I'm thinking Islanders, but you know, I'm like, I'm trusting Carter Hart to steal a few games, and I think that if it they can get it to a game seven, that they'd be able to beat the Islanders and do a game seven, and that's where you know I'm just throwing darts at the wall. I'm just hoping. <laughs> It's more optimism than anything. The I, I don't know what the faith in with the Islanders. Uh, literally, the Islanders haven't gotten past the second round, so this is a big hurdle for them too. Like this, this is a big milestone for them. We've got uncharted waters right now with our club, and they're in our uncharted waters with theirs. So it'll be really interesting to see who goes forward in uh, in this series. But I gotta go with the Flyers. I think that the only team that's gonna unfortunately knocked them out is going to be the Tampa Bay Lightning, and that'll be in the next round. I don't think it's impossible, but I think there's a lot of ifs for the Flyers, and it's too many to make me fully believe in them. 
if they can get their offense going, if the power play going, if Carter Hart can continue to stand on his head, if the defense, they're just too many. Don't like it. Go on the Islanders. Islanders six, Manny had uh, uh, Flyers in seven, Manny had uh, Flyers in six. The Tampa Boston, it was Tampa Bay all across the board. Manny and I in seven, Steven six, Anthony six, Jim six, and Nick in seven. Uh, yeah, that should, uh, as much as I want Boston to win that series, just so the Flyers don't have to face Tampa if they win, um, <laughs> I, I, I I don't see a way Tampa really gets stalled here. So, especially after after the guy in the show, he basically said if they can just keep playing their game and not get caught up, they're going to win. So I, I fully believe that. I don't know if this is their year or not, but they look uh, just as scary as they ever have. So, lightning I might have picked them, but Tuka Rask left. So, yeah. to me, that means no way. I don't see yeah. that. The offensive firepower of the Lightning going against Halak. I mean, Halak's a, you know one of the best backups in the league, but that's still like an offensive dynamo in the Lightning. So I don't think so. Vegas, Vancouver. Everybody picked Vegas except myself. I went with Vancouver. I put about 15 minutes into this one. I even brought up the betting odds, the goaltending, their stats, who's doing what. Like I fucking, I, I put my heart and soul into this series, mainly because it's so interesting from an outside perspective. Uh, Ve- uh, Steve had Vegas in six. Manny had Vegas in five. Uh, Nick had Vegas in five. Jim Vegas in seven, and Anthony Vegas in six. So I'm the only one in Vancouver here. So I'm either gonna look like a genius or an idiot. Well, Vegas might have all that turmoil with that with Flurry's agent causing all that what a you know distraction. Like, what the fuck is he doing? Really? A medieval painting of Marc Andre Flurry stabbed through the chest with a Pete DeBoer sword. <laughs> what? Yeah, if anything's gonna derail Vegas, there it's gonna be that agent and Flurry because you know, I mean, the goaltending of Vegas has been. It's been good, but, you know, Chicago was able to score four or five goals on a few occasions on them. So it's definitely not as solid as uh, Markstrom for Vancouver, but that offense in Vegas is so good. And I think they're just going to eventually outwill and outperform Vancouver. But I I was really surprised with Vancouver. I didn't think they were going to be that red hot going in. As a Flyers fan, I got to say, I would pay money to see that show in Vegas. At the Excalibur, it's just Marc Andre Fleury getting getting skewered. bashed with a sword, skewered <laughs> right on stage. The bloodletting. I'd pay to see that. And uh, the last one, Colorado Dallas, another split decision, kind of. Jim and Anthony both had Dallas, and uh, Nick, myself, Stephen, Manny all had Colorado. Steve had a sweep here for Colorado. <laughs> yeah, which is already wrong. <laughs> Nick had Colorado in five. So good against Arizona. They were like putting up seven on Darcy Kemper and Darcy Kemper and Arizona play a tight defensive system. So I'm like, Oh, they're just going to roll over Dallas. Dallas didn't look the best against a weak, what I thought was a weak flames team. So I'm like, Oh, they're going to just kick their ass. And then all of a sudden they were letting up all these goals. And now Grubauer goes out. I'm like, well, fuck. I believe, uh, Dallas was like the heavy pick to win the cup at the beginning of the year. And I was always kind of baffled by that. I think they're one of the teams that the break did them well. And they've come in and been a goddamn wrecking ball thus far. Uh, Dallas, uh, Jim had Dallas in six, Anthony Dallas in seven. Uh, Man and myself had Colorado in six. Nick had Colorado in five. So it was a very entertaining series. That's for sure. That game last night was phenomenal. I missed uh, the first period, but other than that, definitely, uh, the the my interest as far as playoff matchups definitely go to the west right now versus the east but yeah gonna be uh interesting uh, who is ahead i believe nick is actually uh let's see here yeah, yeah nick it's is... nick and then me the elder statesman and then uh yeah but i'm only a point behind you steven third so. place with 12 anthony with 11 jim with 10 and myself with seven after swinging and missing on the entire fucking eastern uh Except Philly. I had Philly, Columbus, Washington, Carolina. Wrong on all three counts. And that uh, that did me in there. I went with my heart instead of my head, thinking that Carolina I'm, could I'm just happy because I'm usually atrocious at these sorts of things. Uh, I'm terrible at playoff pools. At regular season pools, I'm great at. But playoffs, it's like I just go with, like, favorites pretty much. Like, I don't I, – I just can't convince myself that the upset's going to happen. I just can't. I wasn't even sure some of those shows were upsets, like as much as they were just different teams getting matched up, like Columbus and, and Tampa again. I'm like, ah, I can't, they can do it again. Why the fuck not? And then Tampa just 
killed those poor fuckers. But there's um, no way Tampa was going to let that happen two years in a row because then they'd never recover. They'd have to sell that it. franchise. That I would have loved it, but there's no way in hell they would let that happen. Yeah, they went out there and uh, had a damn chip on their shoulder and buried them. And then uh, Svetch got killed for Carolina. And then the Islanders just steamrolled the Capitals. I was not expecting that uh, even in the slightest. So, yep. Bunch of stupid takes in the East got me fucked up, but that's okay. I'll be back. There's time. Nick's going to fall and break a hip in his old age, and I'm going to pass him right by when the Islanders beat the Flyers, and I'm going to get two points for that series. All right, everybody. We'll wrap this shit up. Uh, I have no idea when we're going to be back this week. All right, maybe tomorrow for a post game. See what the hell Jim and, uh, Jim, yeah, Jim and Nick are up to. Uh, if not, we'll definitely be back Wednesday. For my birthday episode post game, hopefully Woo-hoo! they win. Those fuckers, they lose on my birthday. Like that be, I guess it's kind of apropos because the Flyers have let me down my whole life. So why start now? But yeah, we'll be back. We'll be back for post games. I don't know what we're doing on Brotherly Pod this week. Uh, we got well, somebody coming on Friday. I believe it's a Predators guy. I can get the name here by Manny says whatever he was about to just say. But there's gonna be a Predator on our show. What the hell? Yeah, and it's not Jim for once. <laughs> Good gosh. <laughs> Uh, no, I was gonna say for the birthday show because I I was preparing a game for 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 our next BPW and then it got moved to today. But um, maybe for your birthday we could play the, the a little hockey themed uh, game to celebrate. I uh, I don't know what this game is. I don't want to tell you because then you guys are gonna <laughs> research all the stuff and then it's gonna blow up in my face. Huh, usually I have to pay dudes to blow up my face. <laughs> I can't find this fucking tweet for life. One of the Nashville guys, Nashville Predators, uh, 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 watchers, announcers, NHL guys covering, whoever the fuck it is, is coming on on Friday. Listen to uh, the Eric Erlinson interview, the Tampa Bay Lightning Insider from Friday. I believe uh, that'll be up. Uh, well, it's already up. It's been up for a couple days. So Good info there if you want any... Uh, insider info on the Tampa v. Boston series. He's got all you need to know. It's a good little interview there. Uh, at Dan the Flyer fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Heart Countdown, uh, oh, Jesus, at Heart Countdown underscores back up. Now, see, now it's a mouthful with the fucking underscore at the end. And that's uh, going to make a marble mouth like myself. Got to fuck that out for the rest of the time. But Oh, well. Um, Manny, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, articles always on brotherlypuck.com. I am working on uh, one that should be out in the next day or two. Um, I wanted to give a shout out and uh, rest in peace, Dale Howard Chuck. I know he was only a flyer for about a year and a half. Um, he lost his battle with stomach cancer. Dude was a true star. And from everything that I've been reading up on him, an awesome dad and just a grade a human being uh rest in peace dale howard chuck and at manny m-a-n-n-y b-e-n-e-v-i-d-e-s benavidez just come up with a easier handle just manny <laughs> is that taken i probably probably at manny oh yeah it is look at that by a. Attending virtual meetup and world camp events. Selfie-loving GoDaddy mascot. Light-hearted provocateur. Exploring the world one world camp at a time. What is this? That expl- Most of that explained me, except for the selfie thing <laughs> and I think something else. No, provocateur. Yes. Uh, Steve! I am at Snapple Apple on Twitter, S-N-A-P-P-1-E, A-P-P-1-E. And I've got, I'm going to start writing my best and worst wrapping up this Canadian series. So look for that. Hopefully I can get it out sometime this week. We are, uh, got official word yesterday that we are adopting a puppy. So I got to start getting my house puppy proof and start getting rid of all that sort of stuff. Because I know, Lord knows, this puppy is going to chew up everything I own. Is there an at Steve? Oh, yeah, there is too. Son of a bitch. I'm sure there is. Network engineer. There's... If it is the data center, I deal with it. Arsenal and Maverick supporter over at, at Steve Rosen. Does the Tooth Fairy have a Twitter handle? Because that mofo gave uh, Gallagher like a lot of money. Uh, There's an evil week. Tooth Fairy. Well, whatever. I, I'm gonna. I want. 
I want the NHL to look into that. Is that that could be a bonus that's not cap compliant? Certain at Daniel. I demand retribution. Damn it! Somebody uh, is at Daniel. Fantastic was the AD comments too, going back like four or five years when uh, Gallagher or whoever was chirping. Oh, that's fantastic. Where was like, where AD was like, oh, you know, he had enough to chirp for a whole five minutes, so I guess his jaw was fine. And then you know, Gallagher was doing the same shit against uh. One of his Rangers players, I forget who it was. It was fantastic. Good work on AV for that one. At Daniel, the guy's from New Zealand, and it looks like he's an anti-vaxxer. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. I I picked the apps because of Val Nachushkin and Evolving Wild. Lord have mercy. All right, everybody, we'll wrap this fucking shit up. Be back later this week, but until next time, goodbye and good night.